The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we touch, talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today I'm talking with Barbara Musser. Barbara's an intimacy and sexuality speaker, educator, coach, facilitator, and author. Diagnosed with breast cancer in 1989 as, as a young single woman, she's benefited thousands with her programs to reignite intimacy, sexuality, and relationships after cancer. Founder and CEO of Sexy After Cancer, she authored Sexy After Cancer, Meeting Your Inner Aphrodite on the Breast Cancer Journey. She's a member of the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, and the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health. She writes the Sexy Saturdays blog, hosts the Inspire program for Breast Cancer Wellness Magazine, and writes for Breast Cancer Answers and New Magazine. Barbara is the sexpert in Melanie Young's Getting Things Off My Chest and has contributed chapters to Tend to Thrive, a comprehensive, easy-to-read guide to life after cancer for young adults, and to American Breast Care's Faces of Inspiration, Finding Your Joy. Welcome, Barbara. Thank you, Cheryl. I'm so happy to be here with you. I'm really happy to have you. I'm happy to spend more time with you. Um, you know, but the listeners don't, that we, uh, you came and spoke at my continuing education program at the Women's Cancer Resource Center, and that was a really, really wonderful lively training and well appreciated by the uh by the participants so thanks for that too oh my pleasure it was great to meet you and i'm glad to be connecting with you again today absolutely um so first of all i love your bio because i i think uh as someone who works in the cancer field there's this disconnect between sexuality and cancer, and I I didn't count the number of times the word sex came up, but, you know, quite a number, and I think that getting that message out is just so crucial that people who are facing cancer are very concerned with issues of sexuality, reproduction, um, all those things that tend not to be talked about. Right. And you know, what's really interesting, Cheryl, when I started doing this work about five years ago, um, I did some Google searching to, you know, to develop keywords for my blog and posts, and there was hardly anything out there about sex and cancer. It was kind of shocking to me. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I've interviewed several young women who've had cancer, and uh, it's just a primary concern, mm-hmm. uh, both in terms of um, how the single young women, how will it be to date, the, you know, the married women, can we have another kid? There's just such a, a huge impact, and, and maybe secondary loss would be a way to put it. Um, for any woman, and and in particular, um, I think younger women. Yeah, and and there's a lot of grief that comes with it because here's the thing: with many women, especially young women with breast cancer, they're not aware that if they have chemotherapy, that that's likely to put them into menopause instantly. And and if they're not prepared for it, it's a huge thing, and especially. As you were saying, if they're single, they haven't had babies, you know, then fertility comes front and center. And, and on top of all the other traumas that come with cancer and treatments, this on top of it is just sometimes it feels like, oh, my God, this is just too much. Well, I think you're bringing up an interesting point there, too, because I, you know, as you may know, run groups for women with cancer. Mm-hmm. And what I find is it's the things that come as a shock that most, um, uh, dis, uh, that bring the most disequilibrium, that throw what? people off the most, even something that's very hard. Uh, if you have a chance to kind of prepare yourself and think about it, it's much different than if you just suddenly find out. Uh, and yet that doesn't seem to have quite caught on in the, in the treatment community. Well, yeah, that, it's an interesting thing in the treatment community because what I hear when I talk with healthcare providers is that, well, these days with managed care, I don't really have time to talk about this. And they also often say, I'm very happy to answer questions. Well, that's code for I don't know how to talk about this because the, <laughs> truth, the truth is they don't have any training about any of this in medical school. So, you know, there's a, there's a big gap that has been revealed. And, and I often think it's because they may not be so comfortable in their own personal sex life. You know, a, a lot of us don't have the good language to talk about sexuality, whether we've had cancer or not. And and then when mm-hmm. cancer throws it right into the into front and center, then we have to talk about it. But the question is how. I think there's also uh, I've heard many um, many people talk about that the medical um, profession around you know oncologists, other people who treat cancer are kind of like I'm saving your life. You know, <laughs> all the rest is behind that. As opposed to this is a whole person experiencing something extremely challenging. How do I help them to understand the whole landscape? That's right. And, you know, interestingly, yesterday I was speaking with a woman physician who is a radiation oncologist who recently went through breast cancer treatment herself. And she said, I had no idea what it was like on the other side until I became a patient. Like, I couldn't understand why people wouldn't just accept whatever treatment I was recommending because of how it's going to perpetuate their life or save their life. And they're concerned more about the quality of their life. And so it's just like they just don't know. For sure. And there isn't that much, uh, you know, your change, part of the change in landscape 
But there, if there isn't anything written about it, they can't do a quick read this article either. There's That's no right. article to read. That's right. That's <laughs> you know? right. That's so right. there's not even any way to kind of shorthand it for people. Right, right. And so what that all boils down to for uh, a woman when suddenly she's, she may be told before she starts chemotherapy, for example, if she's having chemotherapy, what some of the side effects might be. Um, and oftentimes, if it is a gynecologic cancer, then they know that there might be some impact on fertility and sexuality. But for most other cancers, it's, it's not mentioned. And so then what happens when that bomb goes off? I mean, it literally is like a bomb that goes off in the brain, and it can trigger post-traumatic stress response in people. And I think that's why, as you were saying, the things that are unexpected are such big deals. Sure. And then just on an emotional level, since I'm in the mental health aspect, um, I find sexuality to be particularly vulnerable, particularly fragile. So if you're, if you're kind of traumatized brain-wise, it, that also, without even the physical part of it, would affect people's sexuality. That's right. That's and, right. And how open they feel. feel. We, yeah. I mean, regardless of our health situation, our sexuality is fragile and tender, and it's impacted by our thoughts, by our emotional state, certainly whatever's going on in our body, and, and whatever our beliefs are about sexuality. Absolutely. Well, maybe this is a good moment for you to read the section of your book that starts, It's Good to Cry. Okay. Uh, because we're talking about things that um, deserve um, difficult feelings. They deserve right. their time, the difficult right. feelings. Yeah. Right. Yep. So um, so this is from um, early part in the book and just some things to, to keep in mind as you're navigating, making decisions, dealing with treatment and the after effects of treatment if you're through treatment. It's good to cry. Let the tears flow. You don't always have to be a big girl. Give yourself permission to feel all your feelings when they come. Know that tears on the outside are a sign of cleansing on the inside. Tears wash our soul clean. Tears can help to release tension. Remember to breathe. When your tents are scared, often the first thing we do is hold our breath. This only increases the tension and makes it harder to think and feel. Surround yourself with people who love you who will hug you when you need a hug, sit with you, hold you as you cry, just be there for you and with you. Often we simply need to be listened to and have a container of love around us as we feel and express our feelings. If you don't have people to surround yourself with, seek out the following, which you may find through your nurse or hospital, a social worker, a chaplain, or support groups. Now is when you most need to take the best care of yourself. It's easy to forget to do that or how to do it. It might be helpful to you to brainstorm a list of what has you feel well-loved and cared for so that when you need it, you have some things to do. You know, when I was reading this, well, rereading it in preparing for today, what really struck me, and, and it's very connected to a group I was running last night where the discussion was about realizing that the people that... Uh, this particular group of women had absolutely be- believed was there for them uh, in the face of a cancer diagnosis, realized they actually weren't. Mm-hmm. That they, they actually couldn't show up for it. 
Right. And the devastation of not having the resources you actually thought you had. Yeah. Uh, is that familiar to you? Yeah. It's Well, it's familiar to me personally, and it's also familiar to me when I hear from lots of my clients. And, I mean, in my own personal situation, it just so happened that I was single when I was diagnosed. And the next day, my mother and my sister were arriving from the East Coast for a visit. And I thought, oh, good. Mom. You know, when things go down, we all want mom, right? <laughs> Mommy! <laughs> how, how good, however good or bad your mom was, there That's is that. Right. It's always the hope that, yes, mommy! <laughs> well, she, she actually couldn't talk about it. She mm. wouldn't talk about it. And all she could say was things like, oh, you'll be fine. You're so strong. And, and finally, I, I said to her, I said, you know, that may be true after a while, but right now it's not true. And I need you and I need to cry and I need to talk about this and she couldn't Mm -hmm. and so there it was you know right in my own experience that was really challenging and um, what I hear from a lot of people too um, especially I work more with women than with men although I do work with couples and with men but um, a lot of uh, women their partners are so horrified by what's happening, and and they don't know that much about the cancer process that they don't actually know how to be with their partner or they can't be with it when it gets so real, you know, especially um, during treatments, you know, when there are surgeries and body parts are being removed or um, the landscape of your body is really changing with radiation or, or chemotherapy uh, and hair loss and, you know, those kinds of things. It's, I mean, it really... It, it can be a real uh, day of reckoning, let's put it that way. For some people, just simply can't deal with it. And I do think there's a sense in which we are um, all trained, maybe men a little more than women, but we're all trained to offer uh, reassurance, uh, it'll be okay, you're strong, all those kinds of things which don't really reassure in a situation where things aren't okay and you're trying to really cope with a, a huge um, catastrophe in a way. Well, that's right. And partners also, um, whether it's a man or a woman, I mean, they don't want to burden the, the one with cancer necessarily with their own fears and their own feelings, and they may not have a place to go. Um, you know, care for the caregiver is another big topic. But if, they're, if, they're, not, if they're not getting well cared for... Sometimes they just implode with with all that they're holding. Well, the other thing I noticed in this passage you read is just uh, the assumption that people have those skills before cancer and they just need to remember to keep using them. Mm-hmm. And I find that for many people, they actually don't. Right. You know, they don't know how to let themselves cry or uh, let themselves feel bad or, you know find comfort, all those things that help so much in any kind of trauma are actually undeveloped skills that suddenly are crucial. Right. That's right. That's right. I think there's a lot of training in in our culture to put on the game face, you know, that everything's fine, that, that we can get through this, that I can just, you know keep my chin up and I will get through this. Well, it's, it's a whole different experience when with cancer or any chronic illness or any health situation that, that can come into this picture like this. Well, for one thing, because it is a, it's 
it's many people's first experience with a visceral sense of mortality. Right. So actually, you're realizing at the very same time, you won't get through it as in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. I think there's a disconnect there, too. Yes? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we don't talk about death in our culture. You know, we pretend it's not going to happen, but it is the end game for all of us at some point. So the three biggies, sex, death, and economics are all <laughs> implicated <laughs> in a cancer experience. Yes? That's right. That's right. No wonder there's so much grief with all of no that. No wonder. No wonder. Yeah. And, for, and for you, so... so uh, I'm I'm just thinking about, you know, your sister and your mother come, hallelujah, right, to support mm-hmm. you, but then they can't support you. That must have been such a uh, uh, sort of wrenching or, or um, dropped, dropped over the cliff kind of moment. Well, it was, and there actually was a healing in it because I, like many of us, had a long and difficult relationship with my mother and was always hoping that there would be a healing between it and, you know, we'd live happily ever after. And what happened during that visit was I realized that she actually couldn't be there for me in that way. And so I let go of any hope that she ever would be and realized that I needed to find other sources of support for me. And and then when I did that and, and let her off that hook, Mm. then I could actually receive the love that she was offering in the way that it was offered. I think that's really very, very, very interesting. Uh, Because there is something about between parents and children, letting go of the agenda and actually interacting with the person can can be kind of a relief in that way, though painful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I didn't get there during that visit. It took me a little while. but <laughs> For sure. Well, that's, I think we have to reinforce that a lot, that these things take time. Yeah. Uh, uh, even, even with encouragement, they do take, take time. And uh, when we come back from our first break, which is very soon, I want to hear about that for you. Um, you know, the kind of time it took to... Because you have a, an extremely optimistic, your book is very encouraging and optimistic without being um, uh, feel good, you know, without telling people just to feel good. But I imagine there must have been a process to get there with yourself. So when we come back, let's talk about that. Okay. And listeners, you can find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. You can like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, connect on LinkedIn, and let me know what's touched you about the show. I know it's nice to be able to listen and not have to say anything, but I would love to know what you appreciate, what you'd like more of, all of those kinds of things. And to find Barbara Musser, go to sexyaftercancer.com. Be back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Relationship issues, anxious, parenting challenges, no more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk. 
with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Barbara Musser about her own experience with a breast cancer diagnosis and how that resulted in her becoming a sex educator and writing the book Sexy After Cancer. And Barbara, before the break, we were um, just starting a conversation about, you know, the kind of, I guess I would, I would uh, generalize in saying the disappointments of that moment when um, you get a cancer di- diagnosis, and then the set, of course, that's much bigger than a disappointment. And then all the disappointments that come along, like people who can't quite just be with you about it and um, are scared or can't talk about it and all that. I wondered if you could share how you, because you're obviously at this point in your life, which is when I'm meeting you, um, very. Uh, Front and center, straightforward, outspoken, we might say. Um, I don't know if you were always like that or not, but um, could you could you kind of say how you got through the fact that there was this kind of um, vacuum where you wished support was? Yeah. Um, disappointment is a really good word for all of it and there was a lot of grief I felt you know it's like the diagnosis comes out of the blue um first of all and uh, and it was um having to make some really 
um, fast decisions about treatment that would have possibly long-range consequences that I didn't know about. Um, so there was all of that. One of the things that really helped me was I was a part of a, a larger community that was involved in a, in a big project. And um, we met together once a week for over a year and to work with the project and to have a meal together and to talk together. And um, there were several physicians that were in that group. And there was one woman physician who went with me to all of my medical appointments. And um, she was my hero, my heroine, because she she helped me figure out questions to ask. She helped me to understand the information that I was giving. And, um, and she just held my hand a lot of the time. And so that, that was a really big part of it for me was I did, I did have a support system. But the surprise to me was that the friends that I thought would be in there with me weren't. Many mm-hmm. of them just couldn't be and, and didn't know how to talk about it. I mean, people Cancer is often a disease of isolation. People don't know how to talk about it. They don't know how to be with you. They, they don't know what to say. And, and so then they can say some really stupid things, you know, that are, right. that are quite, quite unintentionally painful. And, and then if they see that they've caused you pain, then they just disappear. And so that happened quite a bit with a lot of friends. And th- at the same time, there were other newer people who, who came in at various points um, during the the treatment journey, especially, and, and for that time afterwards. And um, I had the great good fortune, uh, Rachel Naomi Remen, who has written Kitchen Table Wisdom and My Grandfather's Blessings. Um, and she's been on my show. People should look up her interview. It was wonderful. She's fabulous. Well, yeah. she, had, she had a private practice back then um, for people with life-threatening illnesses, and I had the great good fortune to work with her as my therapist for a year. And um, she presented the concept to me of having a healing team and that I got to say who was on the team, that I'm the captain of the team, and that over time, the, the members of the team would change as I moved my way through various stages of that journey. So in the beginning, when I was in active treatment, there were a lot more healthcare people on that team. Mm. Um, but also my yoga teacher and a psychotherapist, which was her and other people. But, but when I finished treatment and then it was more about, okay, so it's kind of like you're spit out from this cocoon of, of treatment where you're going someplace on a regular basis and people are taking your vital signs and, you know, they're watching out for you in some ways, even though much of that is you're the host for the disease that they're treating, but but you're in this environment, and then when you're finished, it's like, okay, have a good life. We'll see you. Come back in three months or six months or whatever it is for, sure. for a checkup. And, and that's when it's like, oh, now what? How do, I, how do I live my life from here as who I am now? It's like when you're in treatment, all of, all of a sudden, as you said a few minutes ago, you can come face-to-face with your mortality, often for the first time, and you get really clear about what's important and what's not so important, mm-hmm. and who's important and who's not so important oh. in, your, in your life. 
And so it, it all changes. It was very fluid for me. Um, I, I, one of the big things that, that came up for me, Cheryl, was my own relationship with myself. And um, you asked if I'd always been outspoken. You know, my mother used to tell me when I was little that I would argue with the devil himself <laughs> because I, mm-hmm. I think I've always been somewhat outspoken or opinionated. But, but to come face-to-face with myself in this way and to have to dig for inner resources that I didn't really know if I had, but I hoped I had, to be able to recover emotionally and mentally and spiritually from this disease, uh, not to mention physically. That, that was the big challenge for me because, I, like many people, my self-esteem wasn't all that great before my diagnosis. My sex life wasn't all that great before my diagnosis. And now all of a sudden, you know, here I am. I don't, I don't fit the picture of what's attractive, what's desirable, what's sexy in the world. But I was young. I wasn't willing to give up my sex life, but I didn't know how. I knew I needed to fix fix some things inside, but I didn't quite know how to do that. And and back then there were not a lot of resources, so I um, put on my Sherlock Holmes hat and started <laughs> sleuthing, you know, to to scout out some resources for myself. And and I found a few, and then I modified them for what would work for me. And so it was a lot of interior work. Mm. In addition to that psychotherapy, I found some workshops and and Bernie Siegel was around back then and I read his books, which were very helpful to me. Um, But it was really cobbling it together in a way that, that I had the confidence that I could actually heal myself and emerge from this whole You know, um, I'm thinking about, you said you were single when you, when you were diagnosed. Yep. And I'm thinking about that and that, you know, you knew pretty quickly, well, I've got to, I've got to sort out, uh, sort myself out in terms of um, wanting to be a sexual being and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And then I'm, I'm picturing that that, uh, came into what you might be looking for in a partner as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, is was that conscious for you? Uh, some shift in what you might be looking for in in other people? Um, yes, part of it was conscious, um, and part of it w- was, I think, how I evolved. I mean, I've always had a strong uh, spiritual practice, and and that was a big part of my own um, recovery process. So I've been a longtime meditator, and I had a yoga practice, and and those sorts of things. And um, and I hung around, or started hanging around with people who were pretty awake and conscious. And so th- things came together in an interesting way, in that I was doing this work on on myself and very awake and aware and not interested in being around people who weren't as awake or interested in being awake. And so I um, met a man on a weekend trip with a group of people who um, at the time I was just beginning to go through my treatment and he was 
in the middle of a divorce. And so we befriended each other. We were away on a, on a houseboat for a long weekend. And so all there was to do was to float around the lake and hang out with the people that were in this group together and talk and swim and, and, um, and cook food together. And, and so he and I started talking and having some wonderful conversations. And we decided that we would su- help support each other through these life turning points that we were both going through. Mm. And, um, on this particular houseboat, there's a flat roof on the top, and it's nice to sleep out, out there under the stars. So I was sleeping up there on the roof. I went up to bed kind of early, and, and I woke up a little while later, and, and somebody was cuddling me, and it was him. Hmm. And um, it, was a, it was actually a very um, sweet and tender time, and I was convinced. I mean, I was kind of, when I woke up and realized what was happening, I, I, I kind of froze because I thought, oh, he's going to feel this giant scar and he's going to realize how deformed I am and he's going to get creeped out. And, and that didn't happen at all. It was actually quite tender. And I started to cry and he asked me why I was crying. And I said, well, because you're not going to want to be with me when you see how deformed I am. And he said, I've seen you in a bathing suit all day today. <laughs> you're mm-hmm. not, de- you're not deformed. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so that was a, a very wonderful experience for me because I, I realized during that that the stories that I had been telling myself about being damaged goods and about not being attractive were just my stories. And then a short time after that, I um, found my way to a series of really wonderful personal growth workshops that um, were weekend workshops, and the title of them was Love, Intimacy, and Sexuality, and they were clothing optional, which meant that the people that went could take their clothes off if they wanted to. And I didn't know that when I signed up for that workshop. I think had I known that, <laughs> what a I shock. Probably, yeah, I probably wouldn't have gone. <laughs> but Sometimes there, things we don't know are very precious later. <laughs> oh, but there it was, and I didn't take my clothes off in the beginning. And um, by the second day of the workshop, I thought, okay, this is this is a stretch for me. I, I need to experiment with this. So I decided that I would take my top off. And it was a big deal for me because I thought people were going to run from the room screaming. I still had this story about how deformed I was. And so I took my top off. Nobody even looked twice at me. Nobody even seemed to notice. And I thought, hmm, well, that's interesting. And then later on, there, there was an opportunity in the workshop to stand up in front of the group and share my experience. And I um, chose to do that. And, so, and by this time, I was completely naked. And so there I was standing in front of a room of 100 people. And there was equal numbers of men and women. And I, my knees were knocked, and I was shaking like a leaf. And crying and talking about these big scars I had from surgery. And, and people that were sitting about, I don't know, six or eight feet away from me were looking at me like, hmm, what are you talking about? And they were smiling and being very supportive. And um, then I mustered up my courage and I took a little survey of the group. And I asked how many people thought that I was beautiful and attractive. And most of the hands in the room went up, men and women. And then I thought, okay, since I'm interested in men, I'm going to ask the men how many men think I'm attractive or even sexy. And most of the men's hands went up. And one man 
got on his knees and bowed to me in that namaste position and honored me. And that was a sea change moment for me. I, you know, because I thought, oh, at that moment, I knew that I really was beautiful and attractive. There was unmistakable evidence (laughs) that was much bigger than the evidence I had in my own mind. And that was the beginning of it for me. That's when I, when I decided to become a sex educator, actually, I think. You know, it's a perfect moment, too, for this next uh, reading from your books uh, about powerful opportunity. I'm always leery of powerful opportunity associated with cancer, Yeah, <laughs> you I, know, I, I, um, <laughs> because it, people use it as such a club, you know, they're supposed to be, it's an oper- it's a gift, or, but that's not what you're saying at all. I don't, I don't feel, you know, that, that we get to make opportunities out of terrible things. Yeah. Yeah. And and you're really talking about that. So can you share that before the break? Sure, sure. Strange as it may seem, this is a powerful opportunity to look at what's important about who we are and what's not so important. It's a time when we can literally create new beliefs about life, now that life as we've known it has been threatened. Suddenly, we know that life isn't a dress rehearsal. It may be the first time you've faced your own mortality. Given that, how do you choose to live your life? This window of opportunity to make conscious choices about who we are and how we want to live can certainly feel intimidating. For those who choose to engage with themselves in this way and at this level, it can be an empowering experience that literally changes your life for the better. To know that it's possible to make these choices and to make them is beyond compare. You may be familiar with this poem by Mark Twain. Dance like nobody's watching, love like you've never been hurt, sing like nobody's listening, live like it's heaven on earth. Since no one gets out of life alive, why not create the life you've always wanted to live? Why not decide that you are confident, that you can be and are sexy and desirable? Who's going to say you're not? If you believe it about yourself, that's what you will transmit to the world and you'll be experienced that way. I know this sounds hokey, but this is the way it works, really. It's very helpful to view all this from a positive vantage point rather than self-doubt. Remember that the mind can always cause mischief and is looking for chinks in the armor so that it can come in and wreak havoc with us, especially as we commit to growth and change. Give yourself the benefit of the doubt. Know that you're doing the best you can and that you are an extraordinary being. Looking from this perspective sheds a new light on everything. You know, Barbara, what stands out in that for me is just the idea that uh, um, this this is what it generated for me. When you lose something physically, when you're ill, when your body isn't working, you know, the way you wanted to, all of that, you really do have to go to some place deeper to find out, find what you're talking about. And for a lot of people, that is a revelation. Right. That, that that sense of sexiness or draw can come from something other than the physical because we're so trained to the physical. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's uh, take that up for a little longer when we come back from the break. And uh, listeners, you can go to my website or the voicemail, um, sorry, <laughs> Voice America Good Grief page to find me and to find Barbara Musser. You can go to sexyaftercancer.com. Be back soon. Mm-hmm. 
your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We are bombarded daily with information about beauty products and anti-aging treatments. Do you know how they have been tested? Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. We'll bring you the top-rated skincare products and treatments tested by Real Transformation Skin Care Centers. We'll motivate you to make the best changes. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I'm here with Barbara Musser, author of Sexy After Cancer and a sex educator. Uh, and, and before the break, we were kind of talking about making opportunities out of these very, very difficult experiences. And I was thinking about you in front of the, uh, of the workshop where you really, uh, I would, I would think most people would agree showed a tremendous amount of courage. And that made me think about, um, the acts of courage I've seen and people that are, um, you know, at the edge of the cliff in some way, um, my experience is, uh, men, for many people, cancer diagnosis is the cliff, you know, right. um, that, that it's so surprising that that often does, um, impel people to be more courageous and then change does come about as a result of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, and so that's the way you would think about it for yourself? Well, yeah, but it wasn't my intention, right? Right. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> Do you remember yeah. what your actual intention was in that moment? My intention was to heal how I felt about my body oh. and, and to, um, to reclaim or regain my self-esteem because I knew that now that I didn't fit the so-called cultural norm of what was beauty, beautiful and sexy, I needed to find out what that was on my terms and how I could define that and how I could really love myself. 
So that was my mission with all of it. And that brings up something else for me, which I run into a lot that, um, you know, I think many people walk through life maybe not making themselves all that important. Mm. Uh, you know, um, as long as we're kind of getting by, we don't necessarily, until we're in some very painful circumstance, don't quite um, think in the terms that you're describing. But then for many people in crisis, it becomes elemental. You, you're just, you need yourself in a way. Right. Uh, and so then um, finding this way to be your full self, which is, of course, a, a big part of how I, I see what you do, uh, becomes so pressing, so compelling. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that I've learned in all these years on this journey is that that's an ongoing process. I'm always becoming who I am, mm, right? Yes. And who are you at the moment is also part of that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and so the thing that's really interesting is is for different people, uh, you know, that looks differently. Some people simply want to be able to rebuild their life as it was before. Some people want to deep six the whole thing and and create themselves anew. And and everything in between happens um with with that. But you know, the thing that I see the most is um Michael Lerner, who's the founder of Commonweal, talks a lot about this. And he says that cancer is, is a heartbreaking disease. And that the, the silver lining in that is that a broken heart is an open heart. And that when our heart is open, then it can expand so that we can experience more love, whether that's love for ourselves or for our families or for our life or for whatever it is that we're passionate about. And, and it then becomes a question of, well, how, how do I live my best life for as long as I have to live? And I think that's a great question for anybody, whether they have cancer or not. Yes, and I know even living next to cancer for a very long time as I did, um, I, had, I had asked deep questions before, been a, been a seeker in a way, but there's nothing in my life that transformed me like that, mm-hmm. um, like living right on the edge of extreme loss. Yep. Um, it's, 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 so it's a real. very different experience. Yeah. Not, uh, I hope that people can invite that without having to go through, you know, uh, as I did, nine years of the terminal illness of my loved one, you know. Mm-hmm. But, but um, I do like to say that, that there is something that when we get pushed hard, there's something different that sometimes happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think this um, other section you were going to share kind of um, connects to that. Could you read that? Sure. One of the ironies of growth is that it also invites those around us to grow. This can evoke resistance. Remember that this resistance isn't about you, it's about them. Keep your own intentions clear and keep going. You may already have experienced changes in your relationships as a result of your diagnosis. Cancer can be a disease of separation and some people simply can't be around it while others can. It's similar with growth. Some people welcome growth and some resist it. 
a little trick that I find useful when someone doesn't like what I'm doing is to say to myself, thank you for sharing so-and-so, and then I continue with my growth. It also helps me to remember that what others think of what I'm doing is about them, not me. It's literally none of my business, but they think of me. So how to grow in your femininity, intimacy, sexuality, and relationships? Your interest in and intention to heal and grow are the foundation pieces. Your journey has already begun. It's helpful to know that baby steps are enough, especially if you continue to take them at your own pace. Your commitment is the most important part to making changes. I liked that end, your commitment is the most important part, because um, uh, it reminded me of um, uh, the head of an organization I'm part of, a nonprofit organization, and he had asked some famous filmmaker, you know, what was the important, the most important um, ingredient of his success? How did he get there? And he said, continuance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that, that a lot of it is about you're scared and you take the next step. You don't think it'll work and you take the next step. You're confused and you take the next step that there's something about just continuing that ultimately results in something. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think that's how I got into this work about intimacy and sexuality is because I wasn't willing for my sex life to be over. Mm. in my 30s but I realized I didn't know very much about my own sexuality and so it put me on the journey of learning about that and as I learned about it and was supporting far too many friends with cancer I realized that this is a whole big piece that is really really missing and that I mean most of us don't have really great early sex education Amen on that. (laughs) I know. And then, when cancer comes in the story and things don't work in the same way or or they've been removed, um, it's like, what do you do now? Well, if we have this very limited picture of what sex is, which might include penetration or uh, intercourse, what else can we do if, if that's not an option? And that really got me interested in, okay, so... How do we expand this whole horizon of eroticism, of pleasure, of intimacy, of sexuality? And that has become the foundation of so much pleasure in my personal life because, of course, I have to try out everything that I'm going to teach. (laughs) This is your hidden agenda. (laughs) It's all about my pleasure. (laughs) But then to be able to share that with people and, and, and to give people hope. And that, and that courage to just keep going. And it's also, it occurs to me, um, when, you know, the moments in couples, because I do a lot of couples work, um, the moments where you can't just go on automatic, mm-hmm. where you have to um, communicate about sex and intimacy, or you, you have to take a little turn to the left or right, you have to care about what's going on with the other person that's different. Mm-hmm. Um, those are actually um, some of the closer moments in, in uh, potentially the closer moments in the life of, a, of sexual partners. Yep. Where you, where you can't just sort of um, 
close your eyes and, and go. Well, that's right. And, and if we don't have the language to talk about it, or we're carrying around any shame about our sexuality, you know, it becomes doubly difficult. And so um, there is hope. However, there are things that can be done that are really useful and helpful. And I have worked with people who now, I worked with one couple. The woman had a stage four metastatic breast cancer gone into her lungs. They were in their 60s. They came to a weekend retreat that I offered and we took an optional field trip to Good Vibrations which is a store that sells sex toys and all kinds of devices and these two were Mormons and they walked in to Good Vibrations and their eyes just about popped out of their head but they bought three vibrators and they came back talk about courage I know and they came back they came back the next day both of them looking like the cat that ate the canary and so we got the full report, and they had tried all three of them. They found one that they really liked, and they said, this is opening up a whole new world for us. And at the end of the retreat, I was asking people for feedback of what could make it better, and, and the husband wrote, more homework, please. <laughs> <laughs> and then she sent me an email some weeks later and said, this is my gallows humor, that here I am on my way out. And I'm finally learning about having happy sex and satisfying <laughs> sex. And my husband's saying, honey, let's not waste a moment. Oh, that's, that's a beautiful story. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know that you are doing a workshop uh, it, sometime soon, aren't you? Let's, I am. Let's I put am. that out there for people oh, who might great. be interested. Okay. This is for women, and it's called Opening Pandora's Box. Sex After Cancer, and it's um, on Saturday, February 27th. It's a one-day workshop in San Francisco at the San Francisco Zen Center, and um, it's going to be great. And if you're interested in it, you can find out more by going to this website, thecancerjourney.com slash let's hyphen talk hyphen about hyphen sex. So send me the link. I'll put it on my social media so that people can um, connect to that because that sounds like a wonderful day know, for the yeah. for people that are in the Bay Area. Yep, um, fantastic. I, know. I will do that. And then I'm also offering an eight week um, group coaching program that'll be online. So if people are interested in that, they can go to my website and look under programs and find it. That one's called Exploring Pandora's Box, and that one's starting in the middle of March. Well, and that might, that's more accessible since I'm a worldwide show here. Yes. That would be accessible to anyone. <laughs> I'll send you both of those links. <laughs> wonderful. Wonderful. So I, I can't let you off without mentioning, because to me it really stands out about your story, and we won't have time to talk about it, but I just don't want to leave it out, that you actually became a parent after cancer. Is that right? I did. My, and yesterday was my daughter's 23rd birthday. So, I Yes. I, I really, I really feel that that's an important thing for us to have shared. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because I think people do feel like a lot is over when they're diagnosed with cancer, but in fact, we don't know what will happen next. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So it's been really a pleasure to have you and have a full hour just to talk ourselves about this subject. And I hope people will go to see uh, your website and and see the resources you have on there, sexyaftercancer.com. Thanks so much for being with me. Thank you, Cheryl. It's been a great pleasure. 
I'm sure we'll be in touch being local and all. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. Next week, I'll welcome Rachel Stevenson. Rachel's blog, Dear Dead Mother, about her mother's death when she was five, evolved into a TED Talk about refusing to be silent in grief. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.